This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. The deal you've been waiting for is on now. Ford employee pricing. Details at MetroMotors.com. Time to go rink-wide on TSN 1040. Now, here's J.D. Berg and Andrew Wadden. And welcome to Rink-Wide. It's a show that always scores. J.D. Burke, Andrew Wadden here with you for the next two hours with the best hockey talk in the city. We got a pretty, not a pretty, we got a really good show lined up for you today. Coming up in the first hour, we got Thomas Drance from The Athletic in Vancouver, he spoke to Nikolai Goldobin this week. We all know Goldie is now off to the KHL for the next couple of years. But uh, Drancer got some pretty interesting quotes out of Nikolai Goldobin this week. So we'll talk to Drancer about that. In the second hour of the show, we're heading to Columbus. We're going to talk to Aaron Portsline from The Athletic. He covers the Columbus Blue Jackets there. Really interesting piece he's got up on The Athletic this week. Uh, basically where he talked to some prominent doctors down in the States and kind of to get an idea of exactly what the timeline's going to be, you know, for sports, not just in, in the NHL, but for sports to return. And, well, basically, there's not any dates that can determine things. It's going to be the data, J.D. Burke, as you like to yes, say. the uh, data. That will determine that. Aaron Portsline will break all that down in the second hour. We're also going to talk to Mark Dumont. He's from The Athletic in Montreal. Get the scoop on what's happening with the Canadians, uh, JD, I, I described the Canadians to be in NHL purgatory when I was talking to uh, Tom Mayanek in our crossover earlier today because they're not quite bad enough to be a team that you know will get a top five pick, although they could, being that they're a lottery team. But they're also not quite good enough to be <laughs> a playoff team. They're one of those bubble, not even on the bubble teams. They're just below the bubble. But they got some pretty stellar prospects. Yeah. I mean, like, if Jesperi Kotkaniemi returns to form, if Nick Suzuki keeps it up, I mean, there's your one-two punch of the future, right? Especially with Max Domi. I mean, mostly, I think Max Domi is going to end up playing a lot on the wing. Uh, same for Drew and yada yada. But I think what they're going for is a is a by-volume approach and, and probably going for that ahead of elite talent because we haven't seen them quite bottom out to the degree necessary to be in contention for a first overall pick. And it, it could work. It could work. I mean, like, we, we say that the draft is the best way to build a franchise. But then you look at somebody like the Nashville Predators, who almost exclusively built their program through trades. Well, at the start, they did have... At they, the start, they, they, they brought those pieces together to be able to make those trades afterwards, whether it was Weber or whoever, right? So, yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely two ways to go about it. Montreal, like I said, though, they got to start hitting home runs with these draft picks that they have. Kakaniemi's got to be a prime example of that. I mean, we saw him take... His rookie year was so good, too. Like, <laughs> it was it was stellar. Like, his 2 Are you being facetious? No. No, oh, like, okay. it was really good. Like, he had the numbers really... aren't, don't jump off the page, but... No, but, like, his two-way results were pretty stellar for a kid his age. Like, uh, I was earmarking him for a future Selkie at some point, but... So what, what do you think happened with him? Well, I mean, we can always pose all these questions, but you, you give me your thoughts on what happened with him this year, because then he ended up going down to the HL. There's some that argue maybe that's where he should have been to begin with anyway. Yeah, I mean, probably. If you look at the way things have played out, it certainly appears to be the case. I mean, it's it's interesting to say what happened, what should have happened. My take is, I don't know if you saw the TV clip of when Jesperi Kotkaniemi was picked, but that woman placed a curse on him. You know the photo of the woman who is just completely uh, like beside herself with the Kotkaniemi pick? She has done a voodoo curse on Jesperi Kotkaniemi. 
and she didn't strike instantly because that would be too obvious. She let him have one good uh, season. Gotcha. And then. Did she make Kokanami uh, take down Patterson and have the entire Vancouver Canucks fan base want to. Uh, well, if you look at that play, if you, go, if you go Zapruder film and you go frame by frame, what you'll notice is Kokanami is also falling. I know. I, I'm I'm being facetious there. So I, 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 I think you're just speaking to my point, really. No, I, I actually don't know, to be honest, because it's pretty rare that a player comes in and plays as well as he did in the first year, and then never mind, like, sophomore slump, whatever. We see that all the time. Mostly what that is is just shooting percentage regression. In this case, the dude just genuinely sucked in year two. <laughs> like, I... I That's great analysis. So I'll break it down there for... Yeah, he sucked. Well, like, I... <laughs> Do, uh, I like should it, should I get I like into the minutiae? No, I mean, no, like, I like he, he just like kind of sucked. Um, guys, uh, we do want to get you updated here. I know we didn't have we didn't carry Doctor uh, Bonnie Henry on Sports Saturday today. Uh, we did get to an update on the COVID nineteen uh, outbreak here in British Columbia. Twenty nine new cases, uh, three new deaths, up to a total of one thousand six hundred and forty seven. We're definitely going to end the NHL season, though. Totals, right just now. hang in there. Yeah. Well, we'll see about that. Um, on the list uh, before uh, we get into the drop the puck segment uh, today, um, uh, I mentioned Nikolai Goldobin in, in t- uh, Thomas Drance's piece uh, talking to goalie. Some interesting stuff I found in there. Uh, basically, goalie believes he's an NHL player, and you know yeah. didn't didn't feel that he. We asked people uh, the people last week, did he get mm. a fair shake? The majority of the people here amongst the fans that voted said no. Uh, or excuse me, said yes, and they felt that you know the, the Canucks did everything they could for Nikolai Goldobin. Hearing the quotes that he had in the athletic piece by Drancer, sounds to me like he doesn't agree with that. Also, sounds to me like really the coach was just a major factor in the whole thing. I wonder if it's a little more from up top as well. And and I know the soft skill, hard skill quotes have come out uh, from the Jim ben- from Jim Benning and others around the organization. Like but, if um, he produced terrible two-way results but he did it in a different way like if he was more of a leader when he produced terrible two-way results maybe he would have had a chance so i i think who you're talking about there yeah i'm yeah. picking up who you're who you're putting down um also this week uh drance has asked us as well to uh to give a plug to his piece that he's got out on the athletic right now whoa, 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 uh, whoa. We're, we're not giving away free advertising that's well, not happening just just relax he's coming up and we're going to talk about it uh drance followed around uh, jd jt miller and uh, what was supposed to be a glimpse into his uh, life of, you know, basically an NHL player, but now it's turned into, you know, glimpse into the life of the NHL shutdown as well. So uh, if you guys want to do some research before Thomas comes on with us, head over to The Athletic and uh, check out that piece. I spoke to John Abbott on Sports Saturday. We kind of took a look at the Canucks cap uh, before we get into the uh, other stories around the league with the Drop the Puck segment here. Let's just take a look at... Uh, some of the things that Abs mentioned, he said that priority number one right now for the Canucks has got to be Jacob Markstrom over anything else. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I'd say that there's an element of truth to that. I, I guess it depends on how you perceive the the priority. I mean, if if you go down the logical conclusion there uh, of that string of thought, it leads you to a pretty onerous contract for a goalie entering his 30s, right? So I, I think it depends on... To, you know, what sort of limitations one places on themselves, mm-hmm. uh, the extent to which he is a priority. I mean, it's a tough one because on the one hand, he is the linchpin in this team's success. You take him out of the lineup and we've seen what happens. And I think Thatcher Demko actually, uh, you talk to some of the goalie experts around town, including Kevin Woodley, 
Uh, he played fine. I'm not here to, to cast aspersions on the work that Thatcher Demko put in this season. But fine just is not good enough for this team. And then you, you look at what happens next year. Well, it's going to be hard for this team to improve anywhere else, given the cap constraints. We got a really good point so, in the in, yeah and uh, sorry uh, like where where does the improvement come from elsewhere yeah. and then if you take him out of the lineup that's a lot of wins that you have to replace okay so uh, right around the time that I was talking to Abs I got this uh, reply in the inbox saying um, Benning has kept saying the cap is fine expe- except the defense will get weaker so will the team next year the texter is saying shots against will be nuts every game why would Markstrom sign here with ten of and perhaps Stetcher both gone. It's a good point by the texter. I, yes and no. I mean, like, he'd sign here because the dollar figure is commensurate with but his what abilities. If, but what if those dollars are elsewhere? Well, then then he doesn't fit. Like, it's, it's that simple. Like, either there's enough... No, but I mean or, equal. Equal. If the numbers are equal, then I think that... I mean, uh, why would he leave here? Because he, he has success here. He knows that. But he sees a lot of puck. A lot of puck. Yeah, I mean, it seems to work with his game. It's true. I mean, there's I some mean, goalies who yeah. prefer that, right? Yep. And perhaps he is one of them, and he's just intense enough that I, I wouldn't rule out the possibility. I, I legitimately believe that all things being equal, and perhaps even on the uh, the give end of that spectrum, it's it's just like he'll he'll stick around. That's my belief anyway. Uh, so I, I would definitely keep, keep perspective on that front i'd also suggest that people have greatly overstated uh overstated what sort of value chris tanev actually brings to the lineup and i again like it, it's it's tough you don't want to be so hard on the guy he's given everything to this franchise given his best years to some very terrible teams and never seems to uh never seems to complain he's given some of his his health to this team and never seems to complain one iota but he's not the player he used to be. And when he was on the ice without Quinn Hughes for a pretty sizable uh, pool of minutes, you're looking at a team that controlled 40% of the shots at 5-on-5. Five five. Like, that is terrible. That's terrible. You take that piece of context and you're looking at somebody who's barely worth $1 million. And, of course, he brings a lot of value off the ice. He brings a lot of value on the penalty kill. All the time in the world for those arguments. But I think this is an opportunity for the Canucks to let somebody else hop on that grenade and perhaps spend a little bit more cautiously elsewhere. All right, well, maybe somebody is somebody who's going to be involved in our Drop the Puck segment, so let's get to that right now. Time to drop the puck and get updated on the top stories of the past week. Dustin Bufflin has terminated, had his ter- contract terminated, that is, by the uh, Winnipeg Jets. He had one year left at $6 million on it. He now becomes a UFA could Dustin Bufflin be perhaps in the Canucks? Crosshairs? I mean, if if the price is right, why why the hell not? But what price is that? Because Ray Ferraro came on and, and said, "Listen, dude, I don't know the price on anyone right now." I guess that's yeah, yeah. Like, I, but I, I do you believe don't. it is still somewhere around six, or is there perhaps maybe a softer landing spot than that? I think that it depends, right? I mean, like, look at Kevin Shattenkirk. You can't tell me he couldn't have done better than what he got from Tampa Bay this yeah. off season. Yeah. But he went there, and it's worked out perfectly for him, and now he's going to cash in next year. And I think that that's going to be what happens with Dustin Bufflin. I mean, you talk about all the star players who are expected to take one- to two-year bridge deals. 
Well, actually, then again, maybe not, because Dustin, Dustin Bufflin is on the older side, right? 35. So, yeah, so he doesn't really have the same sort of runway to, to kind of bet on himself. Look, I, I mean, perhaps he's just looking for one more season. You know, and there's also, you know, the case that he just could be retired. But, you know, maybe he's looking for one more season. Maybe it's the right spot. I know he's not really the kind of guy that, uh, you know, craves limelight or anything like yeah. that. So, you know, maybe it's just the right landing spot for him. Maybe mm-hmm. the Vancouver Canucks are the right landing spot for him. Maybe he comes in at $2 million. I mean, a lot of maybes. Here, then why wouldn't he go to Tampa Bay, right? Yeah. Easier travel schedule, less of a limelight. No I ta- no tax. <laughs> I I have a hard time seeing him pick Vancouver over that. All right. And Vancouver's always going to be on the losing end of that one, unfortunately. Bill Peters is back. <laughs> oh, is he ever? It, it, this is interesting. Yeah, that's a word. You know, he gets hired in the KHL. Mm-hmm. I can't pronounce the team's name, so I have Yekaterinburg. There you go. I, honestly, when I was doing sports updates during the week, when I was doing sports updates during the week, I just avoided it altogether. But that is. Uh, Do you think Nikita, that Nigel Dawes, a Canadian of Jamaican descent, is going to be re-signing with that team? It's a good question. You know, I feel like this is the most passive-aggressive way to tell somebody you don't want them back. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, Nikita, like, Nikita Trampkin was on that team as well. You ain't welcome here anymore. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Do you feel that you know if Bill Peters? Like it does it make sense that it was the KHL that he that he ended up ultimately you know finding himself back I mean in? like they're racist they're racist as hell in Russia so yeah it kind of does Okay I didn't want to outright say that but uh, you did it so all right. Uh, we well, do have some. I, am I wrong? Like they, <laughs> I, I don't know. I've never been they, to Russia. They have like a track record. I am record not painting of, anybody with any brush like okay, that. Okay, I will. <laughs> they have a track record of like throwing bananas at athletes. Like they, the, yeah, but that folks, happens, that's happened over here as well. Yeah. Yeah, you know? because a lot of dumb racist people in North America too. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that we're a racist society though. I, like, I wouldn't paint it, uh, everyone with that brush. No, I wouldn't paint everyone with that brush either. Yeah. And the argument I would make would get me in a lot of trouble, so I won't make it. All right, Rick Dollywall is reporting uh, for those asking in the less than two weeks, uh, April 30th. That's a great day, by the way. I don't know why it's a great day, but it's a great day. His uh, KHL contract ends, uh, that being Nikita Trampkin. He'll be able to officially sign with the Canucks. Will the Canucks be able to get it done, though, he asks. And, I mean, go, to go back to the Canucks. Oh, no. Now. Not that. I know how you feel about that. But listen. No, if, no. They can't sign a, a guy who can't move the puck more than three feet at a time. But if he comes in at you know $2 million, whatever it is. Then spend that $2 million on like a pinata and it'll be a better investment. Like, I don't like know. Like a pylon or something? Like sure. A, like a gold pylon? Sure. <laughs> like donate it to COVID, COVID victims. It'll actually be actionable money at that point. So you basically you're saying that you uh, noted Nikita Trampkin. He's right? not. We, we've already been through He's this. not. Good. <laughs> like, I feel like Mugatu and Zoolander. I'm taking crazy pills here. He's not good. He got his ice time reduced in Russia. He had the captaincy stripped off of him in Russia. His production decreased in Russia. He's not good. I love anytime you can get a Zoolander reference in there, you do it. Uh, we do have a question in the inbox here. Given all the revenue uncertainty for the next few years and likely shrinking cap, do you think teams will be very hesitant to give term to UFAs? And could this help the Canucks sign Markey to a shorter-term deal given less competition? That's Pat and Steven- Steveston. Can I take this for a second? No. I'm kidding. Go, go for because it, I, go I, for I it, had a hot take last Go off, week. King. I had a hot take last week. The boys gave me a sizzler on it. 
I basically said that Markstrom will take a look at the landscape in UFA, realize that there's not really a whole lot more than what is being offered to him. He'll sign a one-year deal with the Canucks at, you know, I said six. Blake said five and a half would probably make more sense for one year and then reset himself next year to try to hit that home run. What do you think? Maybe. I mean, like, again, my my argument is just, I, I hate to, this is like as boring as I'll ever get as an analyst, but just I have to acquiesce to the facts, and the facts are that the facts are changing on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I have no idea, like, sure, why not? Well, it's been out, it's out there now that, uh, I can't remember who reported it, but that the cap is going to, to stay flat at 81 and a half. Right, and how does that matter if you're a Canadian team where the dollar is up to 66 cents American? Yeah. Which could be the case. I, I mean, like, yeah, I... I think if anything, what you want to do if you're a team is actually leverage this uncertainty in your favor, you know? And I, I think, like, we've seen examples of that. The Nashville Predators are a great, great beacon of this sort of approach to their own free agents. Like, uh, for example, Victor Arvidsson. We can give you, signed, sealed, and delivered, a seven-year deal. It's a lot of money. It might be under value relative to what you could ask for in, say, three, four, five years. But it's here and it's here now. And I wonder if that's the angle that a lot of NHL teams take. All right, I can hit the whistle on that one. I want to pivot now to Andre Markov. Andre Markov is retired from professional hockey. It it kind of blew my mind when I look back at his career. 16 years in Montreal. I, 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 I mean, you know, did I just not notice that it was that long? Like it's a, quite an incredible year. Uh, well, like he didn't him. he didn't age as a player. Yeah, is the big thing for me. Like I look back on some of his performances on Hockey Night in Canada, some of the ones that I remember anyway, and it's like, yeah, yeah, he might as well have been in his prime. Those were pretty damn good games. And then you look at his statistical profile, and you go, yeah, that's pretty damn good too. Yeah, uh, this is a player who I think uh, overrated, underrated, usually pretty useless argument to have i find sure a lot of talking in circles around each other because it's all based on expectations and and other factors that aren't exactly uh central or centered rather on you know that basis but i think that all time andre markov has a case as one of the more underrated defensemen in the league yeah like he was a hell of a player he was where do you think he ranks up there in terms of like montreal canadians not i don't want to say all time Oh, dude, I because I wasn't even alive for like no, but I mean just of recent vintage, you know whether okay, yeah, Um, whether it is Weber, whether it is Subban, like you know where is he on that list? If Weber if Weber was healthy for more than three weeks at a time, I feel like he might get top (laughs) billing because he's actually been great in Montreal when he's been in the lineup. Uh, I, you know, I. I, If there's one slap shot in the NHL, because you and I used to be targets that you didn't want to see, it would be his. Yeah, like I'd be legitimately scared to stand. Terrified. Yeah, but I'd say that he's probably number two, like in a tie with PK Subban. Yeah, PK Subban doesn't get the the love he deserves. Or sorry, one A, one B with him and PK Subban. Yeah, you know, but he doesn't get the love he deserves in Montreal, don't you think? I mean, Markov? No, Subban. Oh, I don't know about that. I would push back on that. Like, don't you remember when P.K. Subban went to Nashville and there was, like, two press corps in Nashville? There was the, the press corps that was covering the team, and then there was a press corps that was following P.K. Subban. Yeah, I don't mean the, the press corps and the, and the fans. I mean from but the, the, market team, existed. The, the team itself. Oh, like, yeah, how do sure. you how did Like, how did they end up moving him? You, you know what I mean? I get it because of Weber, but, like, you took on a 
albatross of a contract yep. with, with Shea Weber. Now, there's an argument that Shea Weber is the better player, and, and I'll hear that. Yeah, maybe. But, I, like, con- contract-wise, like, if you, okay, say it was a salary dump for Subban, certainly wasn't when you take on Weber's, though. Maybe no. for AAV hit, but not for length of contract and the amount that you're, you're, you're hooked to it. No, but I, I think, like, extremely Moj Marjanovic voice. Like, I, I, I guess he just wasn't that popular in the room. And, I mean, the team in Nashville legitimately couldn't get rid of him soon enough. Yeah. Like, that, that, that room, I'm sorry. Like, I love P.K. Subban. I think he's value-added to the NHL. I think he represents the place where the sport needs to go. And probably, I think there's a large racial component behind why he's not so liked. So, I don't know. All right, that's our Drop the Puck segment here on Rinkwide. On the other side, we are going to talk to the first of three people from The Athletic today on the show. You know him as the Tiny Drancer. Thomas Drance is coming up next here on Rinkwide. It's the show that always scores right here on TSN 1040. This is Rinkwide on TSN 1040. Here's Janie Burke and Andrew Watton. Welcome back to Rinkwide. It's the show that always scores. Andrew Wadden alongside J.D. Burke. Going to talk to Thomas Strands from The Athletic here in just a moment. What do we got? What do we, what do we got for bridge music here? Lupe Fiasco. Yeah. Uh, Wave Files off of his newest album, I believe. I'm a little bit late to Lupe Fiasco. He was huge when I was in high school, but yeah. I was too busy, like, this will shock you, uh, being, like, super culture contrarian and just being like, eh. Not you. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I I like Lupe. Uh, what was it? Kick push was the big tune. Kick and push it, it, as well. is so yeah. good. Yeah, it's that's a, so that, good. That's a great tune. Yeah, that one was it called Superstar? Like that one? Yes. That, it got so it yes. got played everywhere because I yeah. think it could be played on the radio. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was like oh eight oh nine was just yeah. You know who else is a superstar? Oh, good me. One. Thomas Drance from the Athletic in Vancouver, ah, and he joins us now on Travis the phone line. Drance. How you doing, Drancer? <laughs> Doing well, gentlemen. You know, I saw Lupe Fiasco live in Toronto in 2008, and it was the day that T.I. got out of prison. <laughs> so Lupe Fiasco called T.I. on stage, held the phone up, and did a cover of What You Know, oh, uh, which amazing. still stands out to me. It was, a, it was a tremendous concert experience. Amazing. Okay, hold on. I, I, used to, I used to bang What You Know About That, like, all the oh, time. Oh, yeah. So, all the time. Uh, T.I. went to Embarrassingly frequent. T.I. Yeah, went same. to jail because, like, nowadays yeah, he's yeah, a dude, pretty... Yeah, for, like, guns. Yeah, oh, really? Yeah, like, I missed that. Oh, yeah. He had, like, choppers at his place, man. No way. Yeah, yeah. Because he's, like, a strict, like, businessman looking nowadays, like, always got the nice suits on. Yep, and... yep, that well, is correct. Huh. If uh, if we're to take his uh, OVRA as instructive, he shouldn't have kept the G's in the Louis knapsack. Um, little little too conspicuous, <laughs> T.I. I think he's wised up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Drancer, let's get into it. Uh, this week, you you had you you sat down, you talked to, or I guess you didn't sit down, but you called him. Well, he well, might have he might have been sitting. Yeah, I don't remember. I was probably pacing nervously. Yeah, probably <laughs> uh, clean, cleaning off your fruit still. Um, <laughs> there's yeah, a joke there, by the right. way. Uh, I'm yeah, gonna yeah. stay away from it. Uh, <laughs> but you talked to Nikolai Goldobin. We talked about it extensively last weekend, but you got some pretty interesting quotes from him. Some of the stuff that I took away from it is that, you know, in his mind, he's an NHL player, and he wants to go to the K, prove that he can, you know, put up numbers, and then his focus is to get the hell back here. 
100%. You know, the NHL is his dream. Uh, he's very explicit about that when you chat with him. And, you know, he, I, I think the key for him, though, to come back, like, if you think about a guy like Evgeny Dadnov and you think about a guy like Nikolai Goldobin, and I kind of asked him about this point blank, but you watch Dadnov play, and I obviously watch Dadnov play a lot. Uh, during my two years with the Florida Panthers or the two years in which I overlapped with Dadnov with the Florida Panthers. Yeah, when you ran away from Vancouver. Yeah, sorry, continue. (laughs) Right, yes. Um, The guy doesn't lose puck battles. Like, he doesn't. He's so strong on his stick. He might not be running around or making defenders shoulder check on the forecheck, but, you know, those engagements along the wall, like, he's not losing those battles. And and I don't know that Goldobin, well, I know, actually, that Goldobin didn't win enough of his share to, to stick around uh, with some of the plum opportunities that he, you know, warranted based on his skill level during his time in Vancouver, but perhaps not based on the well-roundedness of his two-way game. And, and I do think that, you know, his answer there, he's like, yeah, that's sort of my template, but like, I'm a special player. And, and you know, I think if the coach is on side with me, we're going to do special things. And, you know, ultimately in the NHL, I, I do wonder, or no, I don't wonder. I, I don't think that he did enough to you know, keep pucks alive for his line mates uh, to win the battles that, you know, help guys like Elias Pettersson maintain possession, uh, you know, earn those opportunities where, you know, you have more chances to do special skilled stuff because of the work you're putting in along the wall. Uh, when you contrast that with how a guy like JT Miller plays on, on Pettersson's wing and the way that he holds on to pucks, um, the way that he helps you, your team maintain possession, I mean, I think there's a pretty stark contrast there. And ultimately, I do think that there's going to be work to be done in terms of his play away from the puck, in terms of the hardness of his game, if Nikolai Goldobin is going to get back. But, you know, based on his hockey IQ, his playmaking ability, you know, I I think there's no question that he has an above average skill set, above average offensive toolkit. And, you know, if he can sort of graft with some maturity, uh, a little bit more of that sort of metal spine to his game, I mean... I wouldn't be shocked at all to see him light up the K and, and be back in a couple of years. And, you know, I, I've always enjoyed talking to him. I think he's a bright guy. I think he's an honest guy. Um, I still think there's some development on, on his game, you know, that, that needs to happen here if he's going to be a really impactful NHLer. Uh, and that's obvious just based on how the last two and a half years have played out. But, um, you know, hopefully he, hopefully he sort of manages to do that. And certainly he's landing in a good spot on a good team in, uh, in Moscow in the KHL. Last one for me about Goldobin. Um, when it comes to Travis Green and his relationship with, with Nikolai Goldobin, do you think ultimately that's what you know got him out of, of the city? Or do you think that maybe it had something to do with you know, the higher-ups above Travis Green that really wanted to you know, sort of get him out the door as quick as possible? Mm, well, look, I don't, think, I don't think it's either, to be totally honest with you. I think what happened is you know, Nikolai Goldobin was playing a top six role pretty consistently for this Canucks team, and all of a sudden they bring in, you know, Josh Levo in a trade, and a trade for Tanner Pearson, and then a trade for JT Miller, and Michael Furlan signs as a UFA. And even though, you know, obviously Furlan doesn't make the impact, that's still a roster spot that matters uh, when the Canucks are making their final cuts at training camp. And then you see guys like Zach McEwen take a step, guys like Adam Gaudet, uh, Jake Vertanen, too, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, that, that's seven bodies on the wing. And that's sort of a really key thing to keep in mind here, I think, not just for Goldobin, but also for guys like Hoglander, Bod Colson, Cole Lind, guys that this market's still you know, pretty excited about. 
like to just tread water in terms of the depth chart as a team improves is really difficult. There's a lot of people who, a lot of bodies pushing for minutes. And, you know, as this team becomes not a bottom feeder, but at least a fringe playoff team and, and potentially more than that in the years ahead, you know, the attrition rate on prospects, the attrition rate on guys even on the roster, the attrition rate on a Jake Furtanen, on an Adam Gaudet, um, that mounts too because there's more people competing for fewer minutes on a better team. The level raises. And, you know, did Goldobin do enough as an individual to keep up with that? I mean, I would say probably not. Like, I don't think it's, I don't think it's saying a ton to suggest that, you know, Goldobin wouldn't have been a better option in the Canucks' top nine than most of the wingers who logged minutes there this past season. Uh, I certainly don't think it's a stretch to say that, you know, even in Utica, uh, Reed Boucher and Sven Berchi were more important to that team than Goldobin was. So, you know, there's much to be done in terms of him improving his game, rounding out his game, and, and earning that shot. And I, I don't really think that uh, relationships or, you know, what have you sort of impacted the shot that he got. When, when Jim says he thinks he got a fair look in Vancouver and you look at the fact that he spent a bunch of time with Pedersen and he spent a bunch of time in the top six uh, over a pair of seasons there. I mean, I, I think it's pretty hard to disagree with that. All right. That's it. No more Goldie talk on rink. we put a bow on him? The next time we talk <laughs> about him is when he's making his way back to the NHL. We're talking to Thomas Trance from the athletic in Vancouver. Yeah, no, I don't like that rule. Uh, Tom, one of the things that I always kind of observed with Nikolai Goldobin was that he didn't necessarily... Shut up, move on. Are you no, serious? No, oh, okay. I've got a good question. You shut up. <laughs> the observation yes. I had was more that Nikolai Goldobin was the fulcrum in a ideological, philosophical debate. I know how much you hate ideology, so let's stick with the word philosophical. <laughs> Insofar as we'd have to see the likes of a Jason Magna in the top six. We'd have to see Jack Skilly get unimpeded opportunities in the middle six. And then in Nikolai Goldobin, there was this, this oasis in the desert, or as you <laughs> described it, an island in the Sea of Grandlands. That was a great right. line. That was that a was, great line. That was yeah. okay. Yeah. It was all right. Um, <laughs> what was your take on sort of the way that that kind of philosophical divide uh, manifested among Canucks fans, and whether it's worthwhile to say that perhaps there was some merit to the people that were in Goldobin's corner throughout that entire battle? Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with that at all. I, I think the equation that changed was that, you know, if you're talking about your Jack Skillies or your Jason Magnus versus Goldobin, you're better off giving the 22-year-old who's putting up, you know, 0.8 points per game in the AHL those minutes uh, than you are guys who are likely in their last or, uh, you know, close to it, NHL stops, journeymen, right? True journeymen who we sort of know what they are, and they're also in their, like, 20s or early 30s. Uh, you know, I think there's no question that that's true, the case, and, and frankly obvious. I think where the equation changes is once you begin talking about guys like Levo and Pearson and Miller and Bertanen and McEwen, guys who are sort of in that age group at least, you know, I don't know that McEwen has more ceiling than uh, Goldobin. I'd say probably doesn't, but there's a versatility there and a, and a work rate there. Uh, that, you know, explains sort of the gap in, in opportunity, certainly this past season. So, you know, I, I think the debate changed, but I do think that for all that the Goldobin experience didn't pay dividends for the Canucks, you still would see 
recommend and commend the management group for making the deal that they did, acquiring Goldobin for Yannick Hansen, who was, you know, uh, had a year and a bit left on his contract and didn't really make a big impact in San Jose, and that turned out to be the last stop of his NHL career. Like, you still would say that's a good process deal, a deal the Canucks should make again, the kind of deal that maybe they'd be in a better spot now if they'd made more of, um, you know, over that sort of three-year span from... 2015 through 2018 so you know I think that there's a lot of merit to what people were saying about giving him a shot at the time uh, about the fact that he was a better bet than some of the other options on the roster at the time and I think the conversation though fundamentally changed over the past 18 months as a result of you know Vancouver making some shrewd moves to upgrade their depth on the wings Um, you know and as a result it's sort of like the art, the people who were arguing that Goldobin should get more opportunity three years ago, I think they were probably right. And I think that the way it played out over the past 18 months doesn't suggest that they were wrong. It just suggests that the Canucks got better in, in different ways. Um, and as a result, you know, the, the argument sort of changed and became different. Uh, so that's sort of how I would look at it philosophically anyway. Right. Really shocking there that you used an opportunity to praise management. Uh, really kind of caught me off guard there. <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, nothing. <laughs> On to our next question. Let's see, let's see you pull that You're off. Such a jerk. Let's see you pull uh, that off for this there one. Was also, there was also some criticism in there, too, no? Yeah, sure. Uh, let's move on to the next question, Tom. Please, we've got to keep this show going. All right. Let's see you kind of pull it off with this one. The NHL announced this week, I don't know if it was formally announced, but the suggestion was that the salary cap is going to stay flat. And Mm -hmm. for me, I look at that and I go, ooh, that's bad news for the Canucks. Almost worse news, in fact, from my perspective, than if they had lowered the cap with a compliance buyout. Especially when you consider the $6 million price tag attached to one uh, Louis Erickson's name. What's your perspective on that move, and how does it bring impetus to certain decisions and which ones would you like to see made in light of that well yeah and so it definitely not any sort of an official announcement i think it's just being um suggested by people in the know and talking to all sides that they can see that as a realistic bridge forward as the two sides look to figure out the rules of the road under which the nhl season can return whether it's this season or next so you know we'll still have to wait on some sort of formal announcement on that front. But I think the overall thesis that you're presenting that the Canucks would be better off at a $79.5 million cap hit if it comes attached to a compliance buyout versus, you know, the utility of it being flat and there not being a compliance buyout. I mean, I think that's fair. I wouldn't necessarily say, though, or conclude that a flat cap means that there will be no compliance buyouts. You you think about how teams operate. There are extensions signed, big extensions, that kick in beginning in the 2020-21 season, uh, you know, that teams made based on the sort of understanding that the cap would go up. Uh, So as a result, I mean, there still may be an appetite to have compliance buyouts you know, among NHL teams, and if they can get that done with cooperation from the NHLPA, uh, I mean, that could still be in the offing. I I wouldn't say that's off the table necessarily in a flat cap environment. So, you know, I guess I think your thesis is right. I think the overall uh, sort of 
assumption, however, that that a flat cap means that there will be for sure no compliance. But like, we don't know. We just have no idea what the rules of the road are going to look like, um, what some sort of provisional agreement between the NHLPA and the NHL itself will look like as they figure out a way to, you know, preserve the flexibility that teams are looking at in the event that this season can't return and the, you know, hockey-related revenue pool that sets the salary cap upper and lower limit, uh, you know, is is reduced by something like 20%, like from $5 billion to $4 billion, which which would be catastrophic. Um, in the event that the two sides can't find a way to artificially prop it up at, at some level, whether it's flat, a little bit higher, or or a little bit reduced, um, clearly that's going to be an essential part of teams being able to conduct business, and then figuring out, you know, if what what sort of other mechanisms, whether it's comp picks, whether it's um, you know compliance buyouts, um, you know, how, however that sort of works out, and then from a Canucks perspective, vis-a-vis Louis, uh, you know. There's no, there's no way. I mean, you can't buy his deal out with the way that it's currently structured. You can't do it with an ordinary course buyout anyway because of the fact that, you know, you only get $300,000 in cap benefit buying it out ordinary, uh, in an ordinary course buyout because of the way it's structured and because of recapture. So, uh, you know, you'd, you'd actually get more benefit from burying him in the American Hockey League. Um, you know, really the only deal that makes sense for the Canucks to use an ordinary course buyout on on the roster is Brandon Sutter, um, which is going to be an interesting situation to track because I think all things being equal, you know, if the Canucks had the cap flexibility to retain Sutter, I, I think they'd prefer to. I just don't know that, you know, as they sort of come up against it with a variety of different offseason priorities, including retaining Markstrom to Foley, a variety of, of RFAs, and upgrading their defense, um, you know, if that might not be among sort of a group of tough decisions the organization's going to have to consider at length. So it'll be interesting. Like, it's going to be fascinating once whatever this sort of zany, truncated, uh, provisional offseason looks like. Like, it's going to be a wild, wild situation to cover and and a wild one to navigate for Canucks management. I think it's going to be very, very interesting once we sort of know the path forward. But but I do think it's going to be months before we have clarity on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I can say personally that I would just be racked with pain and anxiety if I had to find a way to get myself out from under a $4.3 million cap hit for a fourth-line center. That would be a tough call <laughs> on my part too, Tom. Well, on the other hand, though, you exercise the ordinary course, right? You save $2.3 million against the cap for the 2021 season, right? But which is good. I mean, you like that. Like, you'd rather probably have that cap space than the impact that Sutter has at 4.3. But the $1.1 million hit in the first year under which, you know, Pedersen and Hughes will be paid significantly more than the cost of their entry-level contracts. And in a situation where we don't really know what the upper limit of the cap is going to be, but it doesn't seem likely that it's going to be significantly higher than the 81.5 that teams operated under this past season... I mean, surely, regardless of what you think of Sutter, you can understand why that would be a pretty difficult choice for any management team. Yeah, totally. Well, Drancer, uh, we didn't get to your JT Miller piece, but uh, for those that are interested, no head over to The Athletic. Inside the NHL's last normal days, a fateful week in the life of JT Miller, inked by Thomas Drancer. So go over to The Athletic and check that out. Drancer, as always, thanks for joining us. Oh, always a pleasure to chat with you, Wadden and, and JD. 
You're, you were there, too. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Thanks, Trancer. Stole my line. That, that bastard. <laughs> That's Thomas Trance from The Athletic. That's Vancouver. what I do every time we're promoting Tom on the show. It's like I put out the tweet today, and it's like, we're joined by Aaron Portsline. We're joined by Mark P. Dumont. Follow-up tweet. Oh, and Thomas Trance at 1.30. <laughs> hey, listen. Portsline's tweeting right now. He's worried. He has to follow Trance. That's a... Tough act to follow. However, he doesn't necessarily have to follow Drance. No. He has to follow JD's manifesto, which is coming up next. What do you got for us? Well, we're going to do a mock draft at some point. I don't know how we're going to fit it in our yeah, schedule uh, yeah, here. But, to, yeah, yeah, um, I'm pretty smart, so I'll figure it out. Uh, I've got a take on the Canucks situation with their pending conditional first-round pick in this year's draft. There you have it. That's up next. It's Rink Wide. It's the show that always scores on TSN 1040. You're listening to Rink Wide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Watton. Welcome back to Rink Wide. It's the show that always scores. And look at that. We're right up against it, so let's get right into it. It's J.D.'s Manifesto. Why you bugging? What's bugging J.D. this week? Let's find out. It's the Manifesto with J.D. Burke. All right, we're back, and we're talking about the Vancouver Canucks. Yes, that's right. I'm bringing you a manifesto that you don't have to turn the radio volume down for for the first time in probably a month. And we're going to be talking about the Vancouver Canucks draft and the outlook for their first-round pick dealt in the J.T. Miller trade at last year's draft to the Tampa Bay Lightning, then subsequently moved to the New Jersey Devils alongside Nolan Foote in exchange for a cost-controlled Blake Coleman. Now, a lot of people, when they see a team on the upswing, the intuition there is to assume that it's going to be a linear progression, that this is the start of something big, and every step forward is going to be an even bigger one. But that just might not be the case. In fact, I'm here to tell you, as I so often do, that the thing that you enjoy is actually bad, and that thing right now is the Vancouver Canucks. No, I'm being a little bit heavy on that front, but bear with me here. The Vancouver Canucks had about a 49% Fenwick. That means that they only controlled 49% of the unblocked shots. Why does this matter, you might ask? Because that's more indicative of future wins than goals. It's more indicative of future wins than wins themselves. It's the best predictor of long-term success in the NHL. Peer-reviewed, no matter which angle you look at, this is it. And you know what? You might make an argument for shot quality, and I would hear you out. So would the analytics community. In fact, they've created new models like expected goals that take that into account, by which the Vancouver Canucks look even worse, 48%. The one metric that's helped them sustain this? Why, it's their team high save percentage. In fact, at 5-on-5, they've got a top 10 save percentage in the entire league. You combine that with strong special teams play, and why, that's just how you outperform your shortcomings at 5-on-5. The book is as old as time. You look at the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Colorado Avalanche, the Minnesota Wild. We have so many examples of this through the years. And every fan base thinks that theirs is going to be different. And every fan base has one writer telling them that's going to be the case. The biggest sick fan in the market. Well... That just might not be the case in Vancouver. Imagine a scenario where the Canucks can't control the fate of Jacob Markstrom. He signed somewhere else. He is an unrestricted free agent. He has that level of agency. What about Chris Tanev? I just argued that he's probably being overpaid relative to his contributions. 
A lot of you might fear what happens if he goes somewhere else. I'm more concerned about what happens if he stays at an exorbitant cap hit. Throw in the potential to lose Tyler to Foley. Throw in the potential for difficult decisions. I mean, this one is just going to rack the management group for months at a time. Maybe buying out Brandon Sutter. Tough decision. This team could look a lot different whenever puck drop lands on the next season. And it's going to be hard for them to find a way to make that different better. So that's why they have to give up this year's pick. Yes, it's a 17th overall pick. At least at present, assuming we don't return to a state where the season resumes. And that's a bit high. It's a bit rich. Absolutely. It's on the low end for a playoff team. In fact, it's two spots removed. But there's just as good a chance next year that this team's going to take a significant step back as there is that they'll take a step forward. Now, you can talk yourself into thinking otherwise, but history is not on your side. And as tough a decision as it's going to be, the Canucks are going to have to lose that first-round pick. It will no longer be by their side in Montreal whenever that virtual draft takes place. Can't disagree with you there. Well, no, only a fool would. But Well... Uh, <laughs> If you look at this roster right now, <laughs> I don't know what else to say about that. But if you look at this roster right now, you're absolutely right. Like when this, how top, does it get better? Exactly. When this top six is healthy, like it's that's, like top that's ten. A, it's a very good top six, like top five in the league. Actually, I will say. But are they going to be able to keep to Foley? Huge question mark there. I've I've maintained it. The worst. I told Croker this an hour ago. The worst. And he's just day. responding now. He's just responding now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's like <laughs> just just looked up from his lunch. Shut up. <laughs> the the worst day that this regime has had was July first, two thousand eighteen. Which year? No, but this <laughs> July first. The worst day in the franchise's the six, history. The six million dollars you gave up for essentially fourth line players in Roussel and Beagle. I'm not going to count Schaller in it. They were able to do whatever with Schaller. But that's $6 million. How far would that $6 million go right now in this offseason? Forget Brandon Sutter. He was already here. You know, Another good day for the franchise. And again, even last year, you know, Ben, uh, I'm okay with $2 million, but for you know, a couple of years, now they don't, it doesn't look so good. Tyler Myers is good right now, but that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money to be handing out to a, who now is a 30-year-old defenseman. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see how they stick-handle things as well, but I think you're absolutely right. Get rid of the pick now because, hey, down the road there's no guarantees. But for the mock draft that we're going to be able to pull off because, yeah, of, my, gonna... because of my immense intellect. Okay, we're going to have to get into it quick. So, Well, we'll do that the in a different side. segment. Yeah, side, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we'll, we'll humor the idea that the Canucks do something really dumb and keep the pick. Okay. On the other side, we'll do that, and we'll also talk to Aaron Portsline from The Athletic in Columbus. He's got a great piece right now, uh, basically talking about, hey, it doesn't matter what date and a commissioner gives you, the President of the United States gives you, it's all going to come to what J.D. Burke loves to do, and that's break down the data. You're listening to Rinkwide. It's the show that always scores on TSN 1040. Now, more of Rink Wide on TSN 1040. Here's J.D. Burke and Andrew Wadden. Welcome back to Rink Wide. It's the show that always scores. Andrew Wadden alongside J.D. Burke with you for another hour here on the show. If you missed any of the first hour, we'll have the podcast up 
As soon as we are finished, just head over to uh, at TSN 1040. You can get the link there, or you can find us on wherever you find your podcast. Thomas Drance from The Athletic in Vancouver was our guest in the first hour. JD gave his manifesto on... Well, we are going to do what is uh, Canucks mock draft here. We're going to take a look at the picks that they have and uh, we'll suggest who they're going to pick in those slots. JD, that being your strength uh, as a, uh, a scout on uh, elite prospects. Um, we do have this, though, in the inbox. Rick in Richmond, he's tired of the negative, negative, wait, wait, negative. Wait, wait, wait. What does he agree with? Like, I'm, I'm confused Hold on. right let, off the Let hall. me read it. He's tired of the negative, negative, negative. Said it three times. Mm-hmm. Says, I agree. Shut up. How can you say a team on the way up with three rookies in a row in the final Calder? I try to listen on Saturdays, but I'd like to hear some more positives since there are so many positives instead of negative, negative, negative. Does anyone want to bet on next year? I'll take the Canucks making the playoffs. Rick. Yeah, how's about this? If I Rich. lose the bet, then I have to edit all your texts for a year going forward because what a disaster that was yeah, to read. T- it was tough to read, yeah. Uh, let's, let's just evaluate that on its face. I mean, they had three rookies win the Calder or something. I don't know. I guess that means they're winning the cup. Yeah. This isn't the end. This isn't the NBA. Like, no, no, no. They're winning the cup. It's good enough for Rick. It's good enough for me. You know, and I'll I'll argue this and you know where my allegiance lies, but look at the Leafs and look at how much, uh, I knew that was coming. (laughs) I can see a move out of the peripheral of my eye that he's going for the hockeys. But uh, look at look at how much talent they have, and they're barely a playoff team this year. Can't get out of the first round. So maybe Rick, if your argument is just to make the playoffs, yeah, sure, they'll be a bubble team, I think. But to say that they'll be better next year, I can't say that in confidence, especially if they lose to Foley, who I think they will lose, and Tanov, who I think they'll lose as well, because they'll make a move for Marks. Why is that negative? It's not. It's just tell, calling it like it is. That's all. Like, why, why, what makes that analysis negative? You know what? I'm finally going to use this opportunity to get mad at that line of critique. Here we I've, go. I've had it. Here we go. I want this team to do well. It is a benefit to my material conditions if the Vancouver Canucks go on long Stanley Cup runs. Year after year, everyone in my life that I love and care about has this team foremost in their sports world. As a Steelers fan, I know what it's like to win a championship or two. It rules. It's awesome. Why would I not want my friends and family to have that experience? Yeah, Raptor fan over here, I now know what it is as well. It's not negative. Like, sorry I'm not a bootlicker. So negative, man. Anyway, just thought we'd address that. Also, LB in North Van. The devil you know I've been terrified since the Miller deal was done that this thing goes lottery next year. I don't know, though. Like, uh, ne- Yes, I hear what LB's saying, but I'll give up that 17th overall pick this year for JT Miller all day, every day, twice on Sundays. Yeah, I mean, it was an unnecessary risk, and everything I've heard from people within the industry suggests sure. that there wasn't, sure. there wasn't a lot in we've, the way of competition. We've been down that road. Yeah, 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 but I'm setting up the, the positive scare quotes. Ah, gotcha. The positive. Gotcha. I'm not used and, to the positive. And uh, that, that is, like, if you told, if you told people at the time that it was going to be a 17th overall pick, then I think that people would have been a bit more receptive to the trade. Uh, another one, Bill and Poco, I don't know where he's getting this from, but when Florida and Phoenix, I think he means Arizona, fold, what players do you want the Canucks to target in the dispersal draft? Bill, we're not, uh, we're not there. We're uh, not well, there. I, we might not be far off, man. Like, uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. Not in Gary's world. 
Okay. Not in Gary's world. Gary's okay. already had enough stains on his NHL resume. I, I don't see I don't see that happening. Uh, we're going to talk to Aaron Portsline in, from Columbus, from The Athletic in Columbus. He's got a, a really interesting piece. I saw uh, Ferraro talking about this earlier in the week, so I went and looked it up myself. Data, not dates. What doctors need to know about sports should uh, re- uh, before sports should return to normal. And Aaron joins us on the line now from Columbus. Aaron, uh, you've been on this show many times. We always appreciate you coming on. Uh, this piece, though, very interesting article. Uh, sort of get the people up to speed exactly uh, what you did, who you talked to, and the premise of the article. Yeah, well, thanks. I mean, there's so much out there, so many questions to be asked. I think it can be a confusing topic. So I spent a few days tracking down. I don't have a lot. I'll be honest with you guys. I don't have a lot of virologists in my Rolodex, as you as you were. Um, but I, I got a hold of the uh, some of the best doctors I could in the country and was sort of pleased to find out along the way that they're also big sports fans. I thought that maybe made it easier for some people to read, knowing that these are these people understand how badly people are missing sports, among other things. Um, and and so I wanted to talk to them about, you know, from what from your perspective, what do you need to see as a doctor before you would say it's okay to be what it was before? So eighteen thousand people at a hockey game. 100,000 people at the college football games here in Columbus when Ohio State plays, 80,000 or so at NFL games. What what do you need to see before that can happen again? And it's not just setting a date and hoping for the best in the future. There's several steps that have to happen. All of these guys agreed as badly as they want sports back to before they could say that that made any sense at all, that it wasn't reckless to do that. Yeah, when you see, you know, uh, Donald Trump coming up, putting in dates and saying we got to get sports going again. But you know, you see a bit of hesitation from the commissioners as well. When you you see these sort of dates come up, I mean, it's interesting because you wonder, like, where exactly are they getting their information from to be able to make an exact date like that? And in your article, these doctors basically break it down to the point where it's like, listen, we can put every date out there. But the reality is we don't know until the data comes uh, back in. I mean, even these doctors that you spoke to, you know, being sports fans themselves, they understand the reality that this might take a heck of a lot longer than what most people, including the President of the United States, are anticipating. Yeah, and I think in fairness, a lot of the sports leagues have, like the, the uh, NHL extended their, their player uh, self-quarantine time until April 30th or April 15th. There's no way on May 1st, obviously, the league's going to be playing games. That, to me, is different than, than pinpointing a time. Um, the, the president here in the U.S. has done that, though, said May 1st is a time when states can start opening up. I think there's a lot of states that have sort of been frozen by that because they don't feel like they're really close to, to opening up. Certainly, you can take baby steps. And one of the doctors pointed out, and I thought this was interesting, the, stuff, the steps that were taken uh, earliest, on the way into the peak, if you will, so no more big crowds, no more conventions, rock concerts, these things. Those are the first thing that, that, that were shut down. The, the things that were first to be shut down on the way into this virus, this pandemic, will be the last things that come up. So rock concerts, large-scale sporting events, conventions, 
graduations. I've got a high school senior in the house. These large group type events are going to be the last thing that are cleared. And listening to these guys, it could be quite some time. We're talking to Aaron Portsline from The Athletic in Columbus. Yeah, and and you were talking about the kind of, I, I guess the word for it would be trickling into this this sports startup again, right? You kind of limit the amount of people that can be there or whether there can be there, people there, period. But I think the reality that not a lot of people have uh, have, have countenanced is that one player tests positive for COVID-19. Yep. One fan tests positive for COVID-19. And we're back to square one. Correct. And what, what yeah. is the virologist's take on that? That angle of it, right? The volatility of the situation and how much care has to go into it so that we don't have stops and starts. Yeah. So there's a couple of different topics there. What I talked to them mostly about were we're getting back to the full stadiums full of people as it was on March 10th. So there's it's a that's a different question than this some of the stories you hear that the NHL is perhaps pursuing baseball's pursuing playing games in empty stadiums. But you're right; those are tricky too. Uh, if you quarantine 40 people, say you know that's what it would be for probably a baseball team. Um, I'm thinking minimum for a hockey team to have. Uh, players, coaches, training staff, and absolutely essentials. I'm assuming media would do video conferencing interviews. If one of those persons somehow contracts the disease, somehow, if they're not truly quarantined, if they get it somehow, then all the rest of the, the herd, if you will, has, can't play a game because they could have it as well. One of the biggest issues, and this is an issue no matter if you're talking about um, small-scale events with no crowds whatsoever or big-scale events is the testing in, in the U.S. for sure. Roughly 1% of the population has been tested. We just don't know who has it. Like, that's a huge issue. If you, could, if you could tell people that they have it, that they don't have it, either or, that makes a huge difference, obviously, in how people can go about their lives. Until that happens, none of this can get off the ground. Yeah. But the, the large-scale stuff is, is a much different burden. There's so many more burdens that have to be answered uh, than it is for the smaller-scale quarantine type events that each league has, has looked at. Uh, last one here, uh, Aaron. What, what's the consensus around the Columbus Blue Jackets organization with everything that's happening right now? Are they just in the same sort of wait-and-see mode as everyone else, or is there uh, perhaps some other things happening there? Yeah, well, they're, I mean, they're they're stuck like everybody else is in many many ways. But at the same time, they're working on some stuff. They signed Jonas Corposalo to a contract extension yesterday. Yeah, Elvis Merzlikens, the the goaltender who's sort of one A or one B with with Corposalo, however you want to look at it, he's due for a contract that's underway as well. Neither side wants to talk too much about it. They've got a, a couple of other guys that need contract extensions. They don't have UFA problems this year like they did last year. Uh, but they've got some young players that they'd like to lock up. Yeah. Well, I, I hope we're talking more about that sort of stuff. I'm fascinated by this off season, and whenever we eventually do get there, or and or if there is going to be a regular season or playoff. But uh, hopefully, the next time we talk to you, Aaron, we're going down those roads as opposed to the one we went down today. But uh, thanks for joining us as always. Yeah. Well, it's my pleasure. I look forward to that day as well. All right. That's Aaron Portsline from the Athletic. In Columbus, um, Rick and Richmond has responded. By the way, it's 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 dumb. I, so why don't you talk positives like J.T. Miller 
uh, trade, the Pearson trade, the goal scoring this year. Lots of positives. You don't have to be a bootlicker to say positives instead of the doom and gloom this show centers around. Well, I'm going to push back. This show doesn't center around doom and gloom. And maybe you're dipping in here and out and hearing what you want to hear. The Pearson trade, by the way, has nothing to do with what? the things that we are looking at right what are, now. What am I the JT to say? Miller trade, although scrutinized heavily by myself, by you, by others, we have said is a good trade now. I will eat crow on that. But why would we be talking about the Tanner Pearson trade right now? They lucked into that, for one thing. They wouldn't have gotten to that point if it wasn't for other terrible moves that they made in the first place. So, Rick, I get what you're saying. I know you want us to be positive about certain things, but we're just talking about hockey and this team and where things are headed. That is Like, ah, what... They don't relate to the salary cap. The Tanner Pearson contract is fine. Why would I discuss that exactly. when I'm talking about the team's cap problem? And not only that, it's a trade that was so long ago. Yes, it worked out. Great. But guess what? They had to make that trade to get him because they made a crappy trade before that. Don't you think they would like to have Jared McCann centering their third line right now? Anyway, he's saying that uh, we're, we're, we're pulling prats here. That's a, that's a low blow. All right, let's move on, though. Let's move on. We, we, we wanted to talk about something positive, and that was the draft that is coming up for the Canucks. Now, if you are you subtracting yeah. the first-round pick? No, come, stay with me now. Yeah, I, yeah, I know Rick's I, in, he's in your head now. Don't let him get in your head. Round one, round two. Are we subtracting those for the Canucks? Because they don't have their first or their second-round pick. So I was going to operate under the auspices that the Canucks have kept their pick just for entertainment purposes. Okay, fair and, enough. And we have to humor the possibility wanna that they pay, keep Want to be positive. It's, yes, of course. And it How's is still technically their property until they decide otherwise. Nope, not. If they make the playoffs, gone. Just that simple? Yeah, they don't have the... They don't, yeah, it's, that's what it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm an idiot. Yeah. Okay, well... I in, knew that already. Yeah, so no, a lot of people. They tell me all the time <laughs> on Twitter. Rick and telling you right now. <laughs> yeah, of course. But I'm also going to humor the possibility that they get a compensatory pick for the Tyler Toffoli trade. Oh. I, I, well, I think that's the only way you can do it because the, the season is not returning. The no, I don't, I don't think so either. The season's done. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. The only thing that is going to dictate whether we can return to sports or not is going to be herd immunity which we're not going to achieve right now because getting to that place that quickly means hundreds of thousands of deaths. The other option is a vaccine, and we're still maybe a year away from that. Okay. So it's, it's just not happening. So I think the only way to reconcile that with the trades that were made is to do something that the NFL does, which is compensatory picks. So the Canucks aren't going to get a second-round pick where they are. They're going to get one at the end of the second round. Okay. That's what I think. Okay, so let's work under the premise. So mm. we are going to say that they didn't get their first-round pick, or are we going to say they did? They did. Okay. And Who would the Canucks be taking if well, they I, had that pick? I thought what we were going to do was we were going to have um, Mark join us and then do that in the final. No, let's do it right now. Let's do it right now? Let's okay. do it right now. Well, if they keep their pick, I've got them right here at tankathon.com. I've prepared. Now, this is a great resource. It's a lot of fun. Apparently, Pierre Dorian's been having a real riot on this <laughs> I've one. heard about this, yeah. <laughs> so here's a little preview of the content that you can get at eliteprospects.com. We have the Canucks taking Maverick Bork, number 17 overall. Maverick Bork? Out of the Shawinigan Cataracts. He's a center. Now, I know that last name. Is there any... Uh... No, no. Uh... He's, he's just a French-Canadian. Okay. But, uh, no, he's, he's a hell of an offensive player. He's got hard skill. 
Uh, really hard to play against. That's not who I would pick for the Canucks, though. Oh. That's not who I would pick for the Canucks. I would pick Caden Gooley. And I've been a Caden Gooley booster all year. We've got him at 20 on our board. Give us some insight on Caden. Well, a lot of the scouts I spoke to, I mean, what we did as a group was we, we showed them our board and we said, what are your thoughts? Like, where, where did we get things right according to your analysis? Where did we get things wrong? And the consensus seemed to be that Gooley could even go a bit higher than 20. Uh, justifiably so. So he's a big defenseman, plays a very physical brand of hockey. You're not going to find anybody in this group who defends better through the neutral zone. His skating is the strength of his game. A lot of questions about his offensive upside. I think his skating, I think his instincts, they allow him to be perhaps a 30-point player in the NHL from the blue line. I think that's a possibility. Uh, But primarily, you're going to get value in transition. He's somebody who loves to carry the puck up ice. You're going to get value on the defensive side of things. He's somebody who skates through passes, which means that he greets the opposing forward as the puck lands on his stick. He doesn't watch the play carry out. He's an active defender, so physical. He plays such an old-school brand of hockey, but he does it so effectively. I I just love watching the kid, and he's also got like a little bit of that, um, you know, maybe I'm on faulty ground here, but like he's got a little bit of that like psychopathy that you love to have in an athlete where he just loves to hurt people. Okay. And it's like, I, I'm seeing this as like a distinct positive. Like, I was at ice level at the Ivan Holenka, and he's getting into it with every player on the Czech, the, the Czech team. Or no, it was a Sweden. Sweden. And, and he's going off the ice, like, howling, like, monkey noises at them. I, like, I just, I love the kid. Everything Intimidation about... Intimidation factor. Oh, yeah. He, he will knock you on your ass if you have the puck. All right. And uh, who are the Canucks taking next? In the second round, this is where it really gets interesting. Okay, let's imagine a scenario where I think there are about five teams in the NHL that surrendered a second-round pick. I could be wrong on that front. But let's just assume, for example, they're picking in the mid-60s, right? It's all about getting the, the range right here. That would leave them with one of Michael Benning, defenseman out of Sherwood Park, Crusaders in the AJHL. He's going to University of Denver next year. Dylan Peterson, he's in the U.S national program going to boston university six foot five power forward yaramir pitlick somebody we probably see as a fourth line center but a pretty close to a certainty to get to that point or ryan francis out of the qmjhl that's not who i would have them picking though were i in charge of the board i think that if they're in that spot we've got cross hannis out of portland number 58 on our board portland Winterhawks. cross hannis hannis and there's a lot of pushback from the scouting community on that one. There's a lot of debate on him. Uh, we took a lot of heat from scouts for even including him on our board, like period. Uh, the, the, he, he does not have many fans in the NHL, so I can guarantee you he's going to be available in that spot. But I like his game, and he's the type of player, like his puck skills are near the top in this class. Uh, he's an excellent handler. He plays the wing. He put up a ton of points when you consider how low he was in the Portland Winterhawks lineup. His skating needs a lot of work. I'm not going to argue that one. But he's got a bit of a peskiness to his game, uh, although that's that's a topic of some debate, whether that's actually a, a facet of his game. I, t- I tend to think that it is. Uh, having seen him at the Holinka, having scouted him in Portland, I think he brings that to the table. And I think he's got a really good shot to be a, a middle six NHLer. But I say that as humbly as possible with the knowledge that the rest of the NHL absolutely does not seem to share that assessment of Cross Hannis. But they're not drafting him today. I am, so So I pick him. Going off the board. All right. In the third round, the Canucks will take? In the third round, the Canucks are going to take Elliot Denoyer. 
and he's 87th on the Elite Prospects rinkside board. So that's right around where the Canucks would be picking, depending on whether you go to the 68 game uh, marker or if you go by points percentage, you're going to be right in that range. I like him a lot, and I, I was advocating for him a few spots earlier on the Elite Prospects draft meeting. He, he plays for the Moncton Wildcats. He didn't get a lot of ice time. In fact, some of the games that our QMJHL guy would watch, he'd play like six, seven minutes. But I think all that does is help explain why his production was only at about a half a point per game in the QMJHL. We view him as somebody who next year has the potential to really explode. And a lot of people are going to say that it came from nowhere, but we're going to tell them that we saw somebody who had some pretty solid puck skills plays with a lot of energy. He does a good job of dislodging pucks from the opposition along the half wall. Somebody you want on the forecheck, somebody who's always first on the forecheck, and really effective at that. Like He's got a, a future in an NHL bottom six, I would like to think. Of course, the odds are against me. They always are when you get to the third round. But if I'm the Canucks at 87, looking at who I think is going to be taken, looking at who I think is going to be available... I'm circling in on Elliot Desnoyers. Okay, let's rifle through four, five, six, and seven real quick. In the fourth round? In the fourth round, this is where it's going to get a little bit interesting here. I'm going to offer up a player that not a lot of people are going to have intel on, and rightly so because he plays for a high school program, and uh, that player is is uh, Ian, Ian Moore, and he played for the St. Mark's program, and uh, just outside of Boston, and I actually got a chance to see him live. He's a very raw player, and and I mean that in the sense that there there's going to be a lot of refinement here, and I think that people need to kind of look at him as a pros- uh, sorry a project. But if this guy pans out, he's got NHL size, he can move the puck, he can skate well. I think that there could be something there. And, and, of course, I'm struggling to find him on, on Elite Prospects right now. But he put up some decent numbers. Uh, and, and I think, again, that's one of those plays where you're looking at upside more so than you are the guaranteed uh, package of what's there, right? You're hoping that he can kind of grow into playing the way one might expect a defenseman of his size to play. So that's who I would pick in that spot. Fifth, sixth, and seventh. Got to be real quick. Callie Klang, goalie out of Rogla's program in the SHL. That's your fifth rounder? If, if he's available, yes. In the sixth round? In the sixth round, ooh, we're getting really interesting here. Things are getting really thin. But I'm going to pick in the sixth round Zach Blusinski out of Omaha Lancers, and this is going to be the least sexy pick ever. Not a high producer. He's a draft plus two. But you know what? He's going to a program in Notre Dame. I like his chances of developing there. He's got a really long development arc, too. Four years, potentially. I think that could pay off. Yeah, these are scratching wins right now, anyway. In the seventh round, it is the Anaheim Mighty Ducks pick, however. What do you mean? It's, it was, it's the Ducks pick. It's, oh, okay. It's well, I was confused, because you said Mighty Ducks, and I'm like... Yeah, uh, you know who I'm talking well, about. Well, I... Uh, okay. You okay. wear the Mighty Ducks hat here, like, every week. Is if you're wearing well, the I, I wear today. a Ducks hat. Thank you very much. No, the hat you have is actually the Mighty Ducks, though. Okay, yeah, okay. I'll you know you what one. I'm talking about. Yeah, the yeah, ducks. yeah, yeah. No, I was just trying to be certain. I was just trying to be trying certain. Trying to be something. Jeez. Devin Levy out of OJHL. He played for Canada East at the World Junior A Challenge. Another goaltender. Put up a stellar performance in that tournament. He just committed to Northeastern. Uh, the Canucks, they seem to have a lot of uh, success when they go to Northeastern. So I'm liking their odds there. All right. And uh, Rick and Richmond has replied, and he's right about this. Uh, the Canucks don't have their second round pick. They traded it away in the Toffoli trade. But, yeah, I know. Uh, that's yeah. why I, I gave we... them the compensatory. Ah, the compensatory. That's yeah, right. yeah. I'm listening. I'm yeah, listening. That's why it was in the mid-60s, which would originally be in the third round. Gotcha. And uh, 
positivity. Yeah. There we go. Okay, so there's JD's picks for uh, the NHL draft for the Canucks for this year. Uh, a lot of those players might want to do your homework on, uh, read up on them. They could be players that could be available for the Canucks in the draft this year. Short break here on the other side, Mark Dumont. We're going to break down the Montreal Canadiens and their season that they had plus the offseason that they are awaiting on. It is rink-wide. It's a show that always scores on TSN 1040. You're listening to Rink Wide on TSN 1040. Here's Jamie Burke and Andrew Watton. Yeah, Jamie. Now this is what I'm talking about. A little bit of Tool. Yeah, buddy. This is a good Brit song right here. Anytime yeah. you can bring Tool into a hockey show, giddy up. You know what? We should get into the subject matter of this song. What do you think? No. No? No. You, you remember the title? <laughs> let's, let's just not go there. Or is it just a safe bet with Tool? <laughs> um, Lollapalooza, I think it was 1994, the one that I saw. I told you I saw yeah, Smashing yeah. Pumpkins and whatnot. So you're going to be jealous about this one. Rage Against the Machine and Tool were the opening or closing acts, depending on what stage they were on. Uh-huh. So if you were on the main stage, you opened. If you were on the second stage, they were the closer. So I happened to get Rage Against the Machine opening on the main stage that very same night tool closed on the uh, second stage so got to see tool with maybe 300 people around the stage pretty cool back then <sighs> yeah you're jealous i know yeah. i get it and I, and I got to see all these bands when they ran out of money and yeah. had to do a last <laughs> they had to, tour do that, yeah. <laughs> to figure out how they could expend their next uh, expense their next binge that's great and their lack of enthusiasm for oh, the band God. has been way gone way gone at that point no better example than stone temple pilots like <laughs> oh, when, when that tour happened i was like you know i think i'm done with the grunge revival yeah, there you go. i tap out <laughs> Um, the fan base in Montreal might have been done with the Canadians over the last few years, but there are there is some light at the end of the tunnel here uh, as we uh, take a look now, our focus on the Montreal Canadiens, as we take a walk around the NHL Canadian teams as we doing, we've been doing here over the last few weeks on Rinkwide. Uh, we bring in Mark Dumont now from The Athletic in Montreal. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. How's it going? It's going well. Uh, uh, yeah. We're trying to stay positive here amongst everything that's happening. But uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, Mark, I'm just taking a look at the, the Canadians and the draft. And trust me, over the last few years here in Vancouver, the draft has basically been our Stanley Cup because that's all we've had to look forward to with no playoff hockey. Uh, the Canucks mm-hmm. are starting to get out of that sort of period uh, with them right now. Montreal, though, still relatively in the thick of it. But boy... This is going to be a massive trade for the or draft for the uh, Canadians. What is that? You got uh, five, six picks within the first three rounds already. Another six, eight after that. Wow. People in Montreal must be excited for this draft. Not only that, it's also in, well, supposed to be in your hometown as well. Yeah. Well, I, you know, right now I feel like the draft and obviously the, the, the prospects are essentially the only silver lining for the Montreal Canadiens right now because as you all know they've been desperately trying to sign free agents it's not a matter of not having cap space it's a matter of free agents clearly not wanting to sign in Montreal so if you're going to get that superstar that that talent that game breaker that the roster clearly misses because when we look at it the Canadians very good at puck control very good at controlling the chances all fantastic underlying numbers but they're missing that game-breaking talent. So 
that's where a guy like hopefully Cole Caulfield comes into play. And, uh, you know, uh, ideally they can find some more game breakers in the draft because it's, it's just not going to happen in the open market. So, and, and it goes beyond that, guys. It's, it's development too, which has been a disaster in Montreal, but it's finally on track. They finally have some quality prospects in the AHL team. And uh, they have a coach in the AHL that knows what he's doing. So slowly yet surely, Things are working out in Montreal, but um, it's more of a plan C because plan A and plan B failed miserably. Yeah, was was Jonathan Drouin, was, that, was he supposed to be that guy? Was he supposed to be that big game-breaker? Because he's a decent yeah. player, but he's he's not really what he, living up to the billing he had at least earlier in his career. Jonathan Drouin, it was an attempt to, to, to kill two French-Canadian birds with one stone, okay? Uh, you know, it, it, they wanted... They wanted that superstar that, that spoke French. That was clear. And that's something, that's a whole different dynamic that you have to deal with in Quebec. Um, you know, e- even though obviously we're, we're far, far away of the, the rosters that were composed primarily of francophones, the people here still crave some, some, you know, some French superstars. And there really haven't been any in Montreal in a very long time. So that was an attempt at, at getting that French superstar. But also, they wanted him to be a center. They saw Jonathan Tante Blaine. They said, we don't have any centers. Let's get him, throw him at center. He'll be our game-breaking superstar who also happens to be a francophone, and he got compared to some legends on the day he got introduced. It was ridiculous, but um, that kind of failed. That whole project, he was not very good at center. He had a whole bunch of health injuries, and obviously right now, if you look at Mikhail Sergachev, he's, I, he's exactly what the Canadians would need because they're lacking a, a, you know, a top-four left defenseman. So I know... Some of you might be a fan uh, of Sergeyev. I've heard uh, some love on the station before about him, but uh, uh, that would be me. He, that would be me. Yeah, I, I said, bit, I, I, well, hey, you know what? It's paid off. I said he was going to be the best defenseman in that draft. Not really that far off, am I? Well, what Chikrin would probably be. The, oh no, you know what? He's, uh, yeah, he's only yeah, been yeah, healthy I, I for like three weeks collectively in the last three years. And you know what really what we're missing from Sergeyev, what I like from him from the get-go is he had a little bit of bravado. It's something that the Canadians haven't had since Kovalev and Radulov and P.K. Subban left. It's guys that, that they're going to go out and dominate on the ice, and they're not going to back down. I mean, did you see him fight with Shea Weber? He, obviously, he avoided a haymaker that would have you know, you know, uh, punched him right back into, into the, the, the 20th century. But... He was stronger than Shea Weber for most of that fight. So a guy like Sergeyev would be ideal for the Canadians. But, hey, when it comes down to it, I think we have to give some credit to Max Bajavain. Usually his trades work out. That one didn't work out all that well. We're speaking to Mark Dumont from The Athletic in Montreal. Mark, I wanted to ask you, I mean, a lot of people in France, they say that you can't get champagne outside of the Champagne region. Can you actually mm-hmm. get poutine outside of Quebec? <laughs> and then next question is actually going to be something a little bit more serious here. From the outside looking in, I have a hard time understanding how uh, Claude Julien, often, how often he finds himself in the crosshairs, I guess is what I was trying to say there. Got a very young team. He doesn't have a lot of elite finishing mm-hmm. talent. Then you look at his five-on-five results, and they are second in the league with a 54%. They're ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. they're awesome across the board. Well, the how do you countenance that? Okay, well, first of all, when India started buying champagne, what they did is that they expanded the region of champagne, of Champagne itself, to create more champagne. So that's what they do here with Putin. You can get it in Ontario, but only a, a small part of it. And I'm going to say something now, and I hope my neighbors aren't going to hear me. The Putin in Ontario tends to be better than the Putin in, in Montreal. 
because we get it in chip trucks. There's no chip trucks in Montreal. Oh. So that's the key part there. But um, Claude Chagin is, it's kind of, nobody knows who's, who to blame right now. People are trying to blame Marc Bergevin. People are trying to blame Claude Chagin. Uh, people are, are blaming Trevor Timmons, who's in charge of, of the amateur uh, scouting. And I feel like it's overall, it's an issue um, that there's, like anything else in life, you need a little bit of nuance. And I think when you look at it, Coach has made a lot of good decisions. He's made a lot of questionable decisions. The same thing with Matt Bajerman, the same thing with the drafting. So it's easy to point fingers. But when I look at that roster, and I don't know how you guys feel about it, I don't see much better than what they did, let's say, last season when they finished with, I believe, 95 points. You know, they would have made it in the West. But I don't think you're going to get much more out of that when you have Thomas Tatar as your best player. And that's not to disparage Thomas Tatar. That line with Gallagher and Danu is dominant. But it's the sum of the parts, right? So again, guys, we're going right back to it. There's no game-breaking forward. And when Coach Zin got Ilya Kovalchuk, he rode him. He rode him really, really, really heavily throughout, you know, power play, five-on-five, five, just to tell his general manager, hey, it's fun to have a little talent on my, uh, in my lineup. Right, and and you talked a little bit about who to blame, uh, of course, and that's always the big question in Montreal. Uh, what about Trevor Timmons? <laughs> because there was an athletic article sure. that came out, and a lot of it was looking at how scouts around the league perceive their peers. And one of the things that stuck yep. out for me was, I mean, for starters, Vancouver somehow not ending up in the top three for the clubs that uh, developed their prospects poorly. I mean, that seemed like a layup there, but... The inclusion of the Montreal <laughs> well, Canadiens. Hughes, right? That, 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 that takes that whole notion out of the water. Hughes worked out. Yeah, well, fair enough. I'll, I'll give you that one. But Montreal was there. And I look at that pool, and I go, Josh Brook. I see yeah. Kale Fleury. I look at uh-huh. Cole Caulfield. I mean, there's a lot there's of talent, talent there. there. I mean, you got Caden Primo now, as now, well. In the last 10 years, tell me, tell me who the Canadians have graduated from their AHL program in the last decade. Well, they might have graduated Sergachev. <laughs> yeah, that could have, maybe, maybe. Yeah, exactly. You know, the one guy that you could argue is Gallagher. He spent half a season um, under the tutelage of Sylvain Lafayette, who was the old head coach in uh, in St. John's in Laval. And Gallagher was going to make the NHL regardless. Okay, so that that was just a that was a lockout situation. And other than that, you could give him credit for a guy called Charles Udon. That's it. That's all. So in about a decade, the Canadians graduated. Like uh, realistically speaking, zero NHLers from their AHL team. So uh, I think again, Trevor Timmons hasn't been very good. If we go back to his 2007 draft, I mean that you won't ever beat that when you have Pacioretty, Subban, and McDonough in one single draft. But there's been a lot of misses since then. There's a, there's been a lot of trades. They've been giving away their second round picks. So it's only been in the last few years that they've actually started to hoard their picks and focus on development in Laval when they, they brought their AHL team to just outside of Montreal. They put Joy Bouchard in charge there. He's really meticulous. He goes for results. So it takes a long time to get that stench, that, that stench of, of essentially it was a losing culture in their AHL team, and it had been for, for, for a decade. And it takes a while for that, that smell to, you know, to air it out. It's slowly happening in Montreal, but, um, Again, I, I don't see much other than Cole Caulfield that will be a game-breaker in those prospects. Maybe a guy like Kutkinemi, he'll be a very good top six player, I think. But again, 
I just don't see him as a guy that'll dominate on the ice. Yeah, that's that's where I was going to go next was Kukkaniemi. I mean, like, what is the uh, you know analysis on him? Because you know, here you have a guy that came in, stayed there his whole rookie year. There was yeah. people that were questioning why they even did that. Now he's back down in the A. I mean, he could have been that guy that they developed from the AHL that you're talking about, but they've kind of took the step forward to take the step back. Where's he at in terms of his development? Well, one of the big issues when you can't attract any free agents is that you have roster holes to fill, right? So we saw this year. I mean, even if we get away from Cook and Emmy, yeah, you're going to give that guy uh, all the chances in the world. He's a third overall pick. But a guy like Ryan Paling was forced, you know, really forced into that lineup. He was playing really poorly. 20-year-old that needed AHL time, it was clear, but they kind of, you know, they, they dragged their feet a little and they gave him about seven, eight minutes a night. It was a master class in, in terrible prospect development. With Cook Kami, the reason they didn't send him back so early this season is that, believe it or not, his rookie season was very successful. He was a third-line center, and he was putting up really good numbers. But here's the thing, guys. He is young. Even after a whole season in the NHL, starting this year, he was the seventh youngest guy in the league. Um, he was one of the youngest guys in the AHL. So he could spent an entire year in the AHL, come out of it, and he's still not the legal age to rent a car. You know what I mean? So I, I, the, the thing is, you need patience. And as we all know, guys, Montreal Canadian signs are really good with yeah. patience. Yeah, exactly. The legendary. Mark, if anything about this, I mean, the information was fantastic. The way you say French names has blown all three of us away here in the studio. We love it. We're definitely having you back, not only on that incredible analysis, but just the way you pronounce those names alone. So thanks for joining us today. I mean, mostly it's just because we're uncultured swine. That is true. Like, like he's he's just saying everything sounds fancy when it's French. It's just, it's, uh, you know, anything. I can say I'm buying potatoes, but if I say j'achète les patates, it's oh. so much fun here. Love it. <laughs> thanks so Jeez. much, Mark. Clip it. Clip it. Clip <laughs> it. Do you have those cut for me? I, Croker's like, those have to go in the 1040 database. Like, let's hear that's, that's a given. Jonathan Delaney was... Jonathan... Say it one more time. Jonathan Delaney was... That's Jonathan Drouin, by the way, everyone. I, I literally <laughs> couldn't make out what he said at the time. <laughs> What's next? When it comes down to it, I think we have to give some credit to Marc Bergevin. Oh, see, I've heard Marc Bergevin. I've heard that one like that before. I'm so glad that I'm single right now because if I had a girlfriend, like, I think he would have stolen her with that segment. Exactly. What do we got next? But um, Claude Julien is... Yeah, it's a little... Claude Julien? <laughs> <laughs> is that it? Okay. He, he just stole, like, my future oh, girlfriend. Oh, man, I'm my, telling He stole you, my ex. I'm like, going to start dating Mark. Holy. Marc Bergevin? <laughs> That's fantastic. The Drew N one just gets me every time. Like if I didn't you, even know it was Jonathan Drew N when he said it. If you no, I didn't know what he said. <laughs> if you don't use some of those clips, like you got to wait for it when the opportunity presents itself. Yeah, like yeah. Sakaris starts being all hoity-toity, usual Sakaris talking about. So like, like what at two o one of yeah, our yeah, two yeah. to six show on Monday? Well, when he when he lays down the yoga mat or whatever. Oh, God. Andrew, we're doing yoga today. Oh, you God. just play that. What? Well, that, well, that is a terrible visual right there. Sakaris downward dog. Oh, God. Okay, let's uh, wrap the show on the other side here. It's rink wide. It's the show that usually scores on TSN 1040. A lot of scoring in that last segment.